The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. over you simply by now if you're not allowed to criticize you are listening to and your host today it's time for our thursday show with dr peter hammond so let's bring him up right now peter are you with us i'm with you yes thank you peter and i'm really looking forward to today's show i always do look forward to the shows with peter but i know he's been busy on this topic for quite a while and the title is the real story behind the transgender movement and its threat to women's rights. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today? Andrew, you know, it seems our society has been in love with fiction for a long time. Now, there was a time that entertainment was not focused on fiction. Just think of the Shakespearean plays. Shakespearean plays were mostly historically based and, in fact, it was entertaining going over a play that focused on historic figures and characters, whether you're talking about Hamlet and so on, all of these, Macbeth. Uh, these were based in history, and many of the people um, enjoyed entertainment that was based in, in reality. Now, there were some places for myths and legends, but over the years, the appetite for myths, legends, and fiction has grown exponentially, and the 20th century has been overtaken by it. You just think of the vast amount of appetite for fiction, films and books, vast amounts. Now, there's some of us who prefer to read actual biographies and actual history, which is in many cases more incredible than the fiction. But notice how there's been absolute uh, superabundance of obsession in Hollywood on Marvel superhero characters who are obviously completely fictional and even break the laws of gravity and nature and uh, cannot even be considered to be possible at all. It's stretching all realms. It's going beyond the legends of the past. And some of the legends of the past, like um, Thor, uh, has suddenly become now a Marvel superhero and been mainstreamed into 21st century. But uh, the hunger for fiction goes beyond romance novels and uh, soap operas into now history itself. Now we're having history itself being absolutely fictionalized. And uh, one of the history books I read a while ago, which we covered on a previous show, on uh, the the secret war, Max Hastings having a- access to the previously sealed files of GCHQ and the Enigma Code and all of that, was able to write a history book of the Second World War from the perspective of the different intelligence agencies from the perspective of the British, German, American, Italian, Russian, uh, Japanese intelligence agencies with previously um, suppressed information. And uh, as one general said in the forward, this is going to require every book, film, and textbook documentary on the Second World War to be rewritten because it was revealed that British military intelligence actually knew everything that the German high command was telling the people all along their plans, their programs, their timetables, everything, because they were reading the decrypts because the Enigma code machines were able to break the codes. And not only were the British reading all the German um, codes uh, ahead of time, uh, but uh, so were the Americans reading the Japanese, that they had both succeeded to break the thought to be unbreakable codes on the other side. 
And so it turns out that a lot of the dramas we've been given where, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen and so on is actually just not even true. They actually knew they had all the facts at the fingertips and it was suppressed for over 60 years as ultra secrets. And, you know, that's where the term ultra comes from. Uh, it was so ultra secretive that um, next to nobody in the military was even allowed to know that, that they had all this, uh, this major advantage. At any rate, over the years, we've now seen it's moved from history being uh, made fictional to a whole lot of other things now. Uh, they've fictionalized even a lot of um, people's understanding of basic reality, like gender identity. We now see transgenderism has become a major, major focus of government policies and of media and even of advertising. And uh, people have been speaking about go woke, go broke. And Nike and Buzz, uh, Bud Lights, uh, Beers, and a whole lot of others have been making woke statements which have resulted in them losing billions of uh, dollars in uh, uh, revenue and and um, the worth of their stocks at the stock exchange. And so extraordinary, this isn't being done because it's financially lucrative, but because um, they're so committed to their ideology, they're willing to even lose billions on a stock exchange, which, you know, seems incredible. But now we see we've got something more than that. Um, there's a term that's being used in Africa of gendercide. Now, do you know that the Economist published a paper which had this on the cover of the magazine um, in 1990, Gendercide, What Happened to 100 Million Baby Girls? It's been discovered that because of sex selection abortions, uh, especially in Asia, uh, in India and, and China uh, in particular, uh, girls have been chosen to be aborted at a greater rate. So that in many cases, abortions are not pro-choice or pro-woman at all, but anti-woman and uh, saying, well, if we're only allowed to have one child, such as in China with the one-child policy, uh, then we'd prefer to be a boy to carry on the family name, and uh, they then would choose to abort the, the female. So that there's a massive gender gap of 100 million uh, baby girls missing. Um, so that there's vastly more males than females in Asia, in particular, where this has been a problem. And the term used to coin that was gendercide. Well, I'm now hearing people saying we should bring back the word genocide. It's not only with abortion, it's now with sports, that there's the wiping out of, of women as uh, a whole class or whole gender. Now, it's it's uh, become absolutely pathetic when, it, when you can see, you know, mixed martial arts and you've got males going in identifying as females and a biological male um, you know, in some cases, breaking bones, causing concussions and seriously injuring the woman opponents because the men tend to play more aggressively. But it's not only that. It's males have more body mass, higher bone density, you know, greater muscle strength on virtually every uh, biological factor. They've got major advantages, which is why women's sports were developed in the first place. And you think of sports where, for example, uh, boxing, you are not allowed to mix the lightweights with the midweights and the featherweights and the heavyweights. They're different categories uh, because of the advantages that come there. Well, in sports, we've had recently Riley Gaines, a 12-time All-American swimmer with five SEC titles, a very successful female swimmer at the University of Kentucky who had ambitions to pursue a dental degree, but her Postgraduate ambition and her entire life was changed when she was forced to share a locker room with a biological male and then compete against this biological male, Leah Thomas, who, the way she described it, they were not consulted, they were not warned. Uh, they uh, just suddenly had a man coming into the women's locker room, which, as she said, that's an embarrassing uh, public space anyway, just with all girls. But you suddenly bring a male in there, that's so totally different. And she said he was... He hadn't had surgery. He was a fully intact male, and he was um, uh, stripping off in front of everyone and uh, traumatizing many people. She was outraged. Uh, she went out immediately to complain to the people in charge and said, what is the man doing in our locker room? And uh, learned that actually you better not say anything about it or you could be disqualified and lose everything. And next thing, she had to 
compete against this biological male, Leah Thomas, in the 2022 NCAA Women's Swimming Championship, in which uh, Leah Thomas was able to to massively beat everyone else by several lengths. Normally, the differences between a few seconds or split second uh, in in these women's sports, and I have got somebody who could be way ahead uh, in butterfly and so on. Now, he, this Leah Thomas, um, who's a biological male, he had scored something along the line of 400 in male swimming, but he is able to win in the female swimming. Now, as um, Riley Gaines, who's become quite a spokeswoman for Keep Women's Sports Female, uh, she complained about how traumatic it was that even when she managed to uh, tie with Riley, uh, Riley tied with Leah Thomas down to the hundredth of a second in the event, and uh, but they still decided to give the trophy to to um, this uh, transgender cheat who was um, trying to pretend to be a woman in order to um, get trophies um, for sports that he's never managed to achieve in an all-male domain. And so uh, on this occasion, when they had a choice, they didn't even toss a coin. They just, um, well, uh, Leah Thomas needs the trophy because, um, you know, we've got photographers here and so on. And normally these sports don't get that much media attention, but there was a huge amount of media attention. And so Riley Gaines said how you know traumatic this was. It was not only unjust for Riley, who was cheated of, of the trophy, but for every woman competing in a pool that day. And she said one of them was, um, she knew that she could still get a scholarship if she clocked within the 18th, but she was bumped down to number 19 and therefore missed a scholarship just because of this uh, male being allowed to compete in a women's sport that day. And it wasn't just people's lifetime of sacrifice in preparing for this. Now, I've got a, a daughter who managed to earn national colors in ice skating, and I know how much hard work goes into the training to get national colors and to achieve in your sport. Um, another one of my sons got national colors in karate, and with each of them, the huge amount of sacrifice, getting up early, to losing out on social events, losing out on just about any private life, you've got to be so disciplined and focused to excel to a national and international level on sports. And so there's some people whose entire lives' goals were just shattered by allowing one biological male in to what's meant to be a woman's sports. Well, since then, um, Riley Gaines has become a spokesperson for women's sports, Stop Discriminating Against Female Athletes, and slogans like Our Bodies, Our Sports, and uh, uh, Women's Sports Female. And she's been assaulted, threatened, uh, since making a stand, now she set up her own website, Riley Gaines, that's R-I-L-E-Y-G-A-I-N-E-S, RileyGaines.com, and she's got slogans like Swimming Against the Current, which it certainly is, and this uh, transgender mob assaulted her at a university campus meeting. Uh, they they took the lights off and, and stormed the platform, assaulted her, and uh, threatened her, threatened her life. She's had all kinds of threats for making a stand. And the police have not made any arrests about this. In fact, she said the she saw the police were afraid. I mean, here's armed police coming in who meant to be protecting her, but they, they were afraid uh, because they know that they could have their careers destroyed, they could end up in jail. If they treated these mobsters the way they should treat normal criminals assaulting somebody because they're protected class. So what we can see is, again, a George Soros-funded uh, campaign to break down society where, uh, just giving another example here, Stephen Wood, a, a sex offender rapist, he transitioned to Karen White and was placed in a woman's prison in Scotland. And this White immediately began sexually assaulting the woman in the prison, which is, you know, a bit of a, uh, a captive audience, so to speak. And uh, it turned out that there had been 12 rapists, male rapists, placed in Scottish women's jails in the previous 18 months because they'd identified as female. That's how insane the whole situation has been. Uh, and uh, you can just see, literally, when you can take a 
male rapist and put him in a female prison because he's identified as a female. That's how insane the whole situation has gotten. And transgenderism is being promoted in the public schools. Um, I've got here before me some of the trans student educational resources, which has got a purple um, gender unicorn and uh, the unicorn's thinking bubble with um, rainbow and it's your gender identity and then you've got a gender expression and you have a sex assigned at birth, female, male, other, slash, intersex, physically attracted to uh, men, women, other genders, uh, emotionally attached to men, women, other genders. And so they've got a gender unicorn to teach preschoolers. They've got the genderbred person. You've heard of the gingerbread person. Well, now they've got a genderbred person. Also, it's pronounced metrosexual. They say this is again for um, primary school children education to groom them, where it's got their identity, their attraction, their sexual organs and orientation, and so the distinction in your gender identity, your gender expression, and your biological sex, and how you can be romantically attracted to certain people or sexually attracted to others, and all this thought to be appropriate to even teach children. So this is child abuse grooming of children which used to be completely illegal but now you could be um, in trouble with the law if you try to speak out against it because the the transgender community is a new protected species and think of this as a carrot and stick approach so you are male and you are pale and you are uh, straight you heteronormative as they call it and uh, which means you're not you're not a pervert you you uh, heteronormativity, they say, must be uh, exterminated, completely eradicated. We must make the deviant normal and the normal deviant. That's their slogans. So right now, they've got what they call gender-affirming care, and um, the way this works is you are an oppressor because you're white, male, Christian, straight, etc. Uh, you are evil and you are the root of all evil, and you are discriminated against. But there's an out. If you will identify as a, another gender, like if a male will identify as a female, or if you as a woman will identify as a male, now you move from being oppressor to one of the oppressed, and you become one of the protected, celebrated classes who cannot be criticized and who have all kinds of benefits. You'll probably get awards. You'll probably get... Um, lionized and celebrated. You might even go to the White House and be received by the US president. You may find yourself getting special uh, jobs, which would be denied you. Otherwise, you might get positions in Hollywood films. And you might get all kinds of opportunities in singing and so on, um, have albums made. You would have your few minutes of fame and you'll also be uh, popular for a while. You'll start to get all kinds of benefits if you will go through this gender affirming care, as they call it. So here's another educational um, pro, uh, leaflet that's been made available to educators. Gender-affirming care. And it speaks about some of the gender-affirming care can include um, you know, mastectomies, removing breasts, um, hysterectomies, um, vaginoplasties, phalloplasty, facial feminizations, all kinds of medical testosterone um, and uh, other kinds of hormones pumped into you that either create hair and different uh, gender changes from medical science. So surgically, they, they do a whole lot of um, what we would call mutilation, you know, breast mutilation, gen uh, genital mutilation, and this is called gender-affirming care. So now if you make a rally to end child mutilation, they will call it hate speech. So apparently to groom children and to make children think that your path to happiness is to allow a surgeon to cut off your breasts or to castrate you uh, and other kinds of mutilations like this, this is good and anyone questioning it is bad and evil. And it's actually, there's a book out by Abigail Shira on irreversible damage, teenage girls in the transgender craze. And that's Actually, the word it is a craze. And using the wrong gender pronoun now could get you imprisoned in some place in the world, like in California. And there's people who've made a stand with their only two genders. 
And uh, even a biology professor lost his job at the university for making a simple biological statement that biologically there's only two genders, which is so factual. Somebody would have looked at you skew for even saying that a few years ago. You know, what on earth could be controversial about that? Now that can be a trigger that gets you attacked, death threats, and um, mobbed, physically assaulted, and then fired from your job. So the woman making stands get uh, get your agenda out of my restroom, and transgenderism is a mental disorder. So in Africa, we know about a problem called uh, genital mutilation. It's something very common in uh, the Muslim world. A female circumcision is one of the words they, they use for it, but it's it's gender, it's gender genital mutilation. And so there's been all kinds of women's rights groups and campaigns to end genital mutilation of women in Africa. And uh, Right now, it's extraordinary as we've made great strides throughout Africa in making it banned and make it illegal and a crime. Now, suddenly, genital mutilation makes a resurfacing under Western human rights, LGBTQ, transgenderism movement, which is almost like a new religion. It's like a cult. And uh, transgenderism has become a political ideology, not a gender identity. Transgenderism is part of the ongoing effort by the left to separate America from God and tradition. And there's a book out by Scott Howard called The Transgender Industrial Complex. And uh, this is very revealing. In this book, the Nebraskan author Scott Howard ex exposes how the actors financing the institutionalization of transgenderism are billionaires like George Soros. And uh, the medical research into gender transitioning of children um, is being uh, funded by the very people who are benefiting from it. So, you know, it's like a tobacco company sponsoring a study which finds there's no link between lung cancer and, and smoking or a, uh, a gambling company that sponsors some sociological study which finds there's no real link between gambling and gambling addiction or the people who find that... Uh, uh, Cancer is not in any way related to lung cancer, to smoking, these things. So you get these groups that will have a sponsored uh, study where they buy the people, they pay for them, and he who pays the pipe uh, um, calls a tune. And um, before you know it, the transgender industrial complex is there's a lot of groups medically, financially benefiting from this movement, this uh, craze, this new fashion. So these gay pride parades, which all cost money, the drag queen story hours, it all costs a lot of money. The different medical research, questionable research that comes out of these different bizarre things. The sex education, the homosexual and uh, feminist um, projects, the global propaganda, all pushed and paid for by very wealthy, very well-connected people with motive and will. And so Scott Howard in his book, The Transgender Industrial Complex, demonstrates a transgender phenomenon is not a grassroots movement, as its activists would have the public believe. It's actually uh, very much um, funded by big business and big pharma. Body politics, transgender body politics by Heather Brunskill Evans also documents that many people who think of the transgender or gender identity movements are thinking about accommodating people with a um, condition. But in fact, uh, what they don't understand is this is it's an industry that's creating medical identities out of sex, while simultaneously mounting active campaigns to deconstruct sexual dimorphism within the law. Transgenderism is a multi-billion dollar industry disguised as a civil rights movement. P Peter, are you still there? Yeah, we just had a drop out there. Let's see if yeah, Peter, sorry, you, you just said uh, it's uh, an industry disguised as uh, the transgender movement, then you dropped out. So please, can you um, just let us know what uh, happened? Uh, uh, can you c continue yes, sorry. from there? Sorry. Um, sometimes, sometimes we do have these um, problems of uh, internet connectivity. So it's um, basically big business uh, dressed in working people's clothes. It's, it's um, a, a charade and it's deception. There's another book on sex identity aesthetics. The work of Tobin Seners and Disability Studies is pointing out that there was a time in the First World War that plastic surgery came into vogue. Of course, there were these horrific injuries caused by bullet shrapnel, 
um, uh, artillery and so on. And uh, many people were facially disfigured so badly that a plastic surgery came into its own in the First World War in order to make enable people to have a basically normal life who had been disfigured by um, munitions uh, in a horrible war. And uh, somewhere in the 60s and 70s, a, a transition plastic surgery moved from war injuries to um, beauty augmentation. And before you know it, virtually every Hollywood star had to have all kinds of, with its liposuction to nose jobs, chin jobs, um, cheekbone being changed and all of the other things. So now they moved beyond beauty uh, and so on into um, transitioning people from male to female and female to male. According to uh, research in these books, every child who chooses to transition or is chosen to transition by their parents, in many cases that's what's happening in Hollywood, people are virtually signaling by having their child suddenly transition. It's $1.3 million for Big Pharma for every child that transitions because you're talking about a huge amount of surgery and then hormone treatments and medical uh, interventions, uh, drugs. So Big Pharma are pushing this. Now, there's one billionaire family pushing the synthetic sex identities, what's been called now SSI. It's the Pritzker family. And uh, uh, this has been exposed by Jennifer Billick. Um, she said uh, one of the drivers of this current war over definitions of genders is being funded by one of the richest families in America to transition Americans from our normal biological definitions of sex to a broad acceptance and propagation of synthetic sex identities, what they call SSIs, synthetic sex identities. And the Pritzkers of Illinois, who helped fund Barack Obama to get into the White House, are major players funding this transgender movement. And uh, they have a major role in the big pharma surgical interventions that benefit from people wanting to transition sexually. Well, historically, where does this transgenderism come from? Just about the same time as the French Revolution, just before the French Revolution, there was a massive increase in homosexuality and cross-dressing in Paris. And this is documented by the author Otto Scott, historian Otto Scott in his book, Robespierre, Inside the French Revolution, which is the best book in the French Revolution I've ever read, speaking about how cross-dressing, perversion, homosexuality became mainstream in Paris before the revolution. And in fact, revolutionaries often um, are working for sexual revolution first. The next big um, appearance of transgenderism in uh, the Western world was in the Weimar Republic in Germany, especially in Berlin, after the First World War, after the collapse of the, Tsar, uh, of the Kaiser, and uh, after the um, uh, destruction of Germany economically through the Versailles Treaty, so that billions of marks couldn't buy a loaf of bread, and people were literally wheeling um, wheelbarrows piled high with, with Deutschmarks in the millions uh, just to buy a loaf of bread at the corner store. The inflation was so bad, and you can imagine what this did to the millions of war widows who had lost men in the war, and now they were uh, often single mothers and uh, widowed, and many women were forced or felt forced to sell their bodies into um, the sex trade, which proliferated in Berlin in the Weimar Republic. And so prostitution excelled. But there was, after that, uh, th there were apparently 800 sexually orientated businesses in uh, Berlin alone, uh, not just cabarets and so on, but um, a lot of transgenderism and cross-dressing and perversion. Apparently, once they saturate the society with um, prostitution, soon there's a desire for the more perverted things. And uh, there's a whole lot of pretty gross pictures of the Weimar Republic of these transgender men uh, dancing with earrings and makeup and uh, all kinds of weird outfits and, and pretty public pictures. And you can imagine why there was this huge backlash of the National Socialist Movement wanting to clean up the cities. And a lot of what was described as anti-Semitism was actually uh, more anti-prostitution, anti-pimps and uh, perversion in Berlin. The first transgender surgery uh, to what they call now gender-affirming care, which is nothing other than um, basically castration and um, uh, mutilation, really, 
the first transgender uh, attempt at surgery uh, happened in Berlin in 1920s, 1929 in um, Weimar Republic, and the patient died on the operating table. Uh, it, was a, it was a Jewish doctor, it was a Jewish patient who wanted to be transgendered, and uh, uh, there the, the patient died. So that's the first actual um, gender transition surgery, and that was 1929 Weimar Republic. So there's a book out uh, documenting a whole lot of these things called Sex and the Weimar Republic. Um, German Homosexual Emancipation and the Rise of the Nazis by Laurie Markhofer. And uh, Sex and the Weimar Republic. It's, it's, uh, in fact, the cover looks quite obnoxious already, just showing the immorality that was so common at that stage. And uh, what did that precede? That, that preceded such a um, radical breaking down of society. It led to a backlash. Of course, there's going to be a backlash when you get that kind of perversion. Well, also funding the transgender movement today is the Open Society Foundations, OSF, funded by George Soros. George Soros spent over $3 million just between 2011 and 2013 promoting transgender movement. And he, uh, he made it his top funder of the Open Society Foundations. It was their top priority. And then you've got Straker's Arcus Foundation and Pritzker's uh, Tawani Foundation, and uh, they are all funding the transgender movement. The difference that the money can make, uh, for example, OSF, uh, the Open Societies Foundation, gave half a million dollars to transgender Europe in the last two years. And then transgender Europe also received a million dollars from the Arcus Foundation, um, from Straker. And uh, they, their projects have included Transgender Day of Remembrance, uh, which has been underpinned by a comprehensive database of victims throughout the world, trans-murder monitoring. And the database recorded 325 victims of transgender violence, they said, between October 2016 and September 2017, uh, most of which occurred in Central and South America. There were only three transgender murders, according to their reports, in Western Europe and none in the United Kingdom, but that didn't stop them promoting the fiction that transgender uh, people are greatly at risk. And all that is documented in the Transgender Industrial Complex book. There's also a website called womanarehuman.com, which is trying to expose the transgender movement's attacks on women's rights. And George Soros is funding not just open society activists and Antifa writers and the BLM, but corrupt district attorneys, as we've noticed, universities, colleges, election fraud, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the CDC, Justin Trudeau, Ukraine, pornography, child trafficking, the color revolutions, voting machines, entertainment industry. George Soros has got his fingers, or should we say his octopus tentacles, in enormous amounts of very influential um, areas in society. And so there are many people now who've got regrets over their transgender um, uh, surgeries. And of course, you can't exactly reverse things like um, castration and mastectomies. And so what do you do when some poor kids now 17 and so on are regretting the decisions made by their parents earlier? And there's many speaking out in it. And their stories are truly uh, terrifying. But here we've got um, female genital mutilation or what they call female uh, circumcision, which is now banned all over the world. And uh, we've been campaigning against mutilation of, of um, genitalian uh, amongst women. But now it's coming back through the transgender movement, but now they're calling it gender-affirming care, which sounds so much better than mutilation, doesn't it? But um, 200 million girls and women in 30 countries were subjected to gentle mutilation um, before 2014. And now uh, it seems to be mostly in the Western world that these things are happening. And uh, there's all kinds of movements to promote gender-affirming care, which, which, let's face it, is gentle mutilation and, and poisoning people. Now, there was meant to be women's rights built up, all kinds of women's rights, but now women's basic rights of uh, having respect and freedom, their own safe spaces and their own change rooms and their own locker rooms, shower rooms and so on, in sports is being violated and attacked. Where does this end? 
and now people are afraid of um, speaking up against this. And as uh, Riley Gaines has said, you know, she's willing to speak up, but many of the other women sportsmen like what she's doing, but they're afraid for themselves because they, they've been told they could lose their bursaries, they could lose their sponsorship, they could lose their position in the school, they could be expelled, they could destroy their entire life if they make a stand. So Riley Gaines is uh, trying to speak up for all the girls on women's sports. There's other women's rights activists who are speaking out against this insanity. And uh, one of them includes um, uh, Kelly J. Keane. Kelly J. Keane um, is a British uh, women's rights feminist who, uh, some years ago, because of her concern about her teenage daughter and the, the pressure is being put on her, and she doesn't want males coming into uh, bathrooms, change rooms, locker rooms, shower rooms, sports, uh, where her daughter's involved, and she knows her daughter's not uh, confident enough to stand up and, and insist on her rights. And most young teenage girls would not protest. So she started to put the Oxford Dictionary definition on billboards, woman, noun, adult, human, female, uh, which is straight from the Oxford Dictionary. And next thing you know, British municipalities ordered these billboards taken down uh, because they called them hate speech. So an Oxford Dictionary definition, which was accepted for centuries, is now hate speech. She got T-shirts made with woman, noun, adult, human, female. And uh, next thing, the company that produced the T-shirts had to apologize grovelingly, grovelingly uh, for printing these. They didn't realize what a terrible crime that was and how many people they hurt and um, that they shouldn't have taken this job. And uh, Kelly J. Keane's been assaulted by men dressed in dresses and with makeup uh, in uh, Australia and in New Zealand. And in fact, in New Zealand, she was going on a speaking tour of Let Women Speak. That was the banner. She was assaulted and attacked in, in New Zealand by men in uh, dresses who threw uh, ketchup um, some kind of tomato sauce, tomato juice over her. And in fact, the organizer of the uh, trans protesters, as they were called, um, said on TV in New Zealand that they poured the ketchup over her, uh, wanting to send a message that she deserved to be covered in blood, preferably her own. And in the same TV program from New Zealand, you saw these trans activists who had stormed, screamed, bullhorns, um, whistles, uh, rape alarms, setting these off so that nobody could hear or think. It was so noisy. Just to watch a video is quite traumatic. And while they were assaulting and, and smashing uh, the barricades and attacking, and then you get these trans activists saying, there's no room for hate and intolerance in New Zealand. And to think they're that blind, they can't see that the hate and intolerance was all demonstrated from their side, from the so-called trans movement. So this is where it's going. Now you're seeing transgenderism is like a new religious cult and it's a new political movement and it's an ideology. It's not just an ideology, it's an institution and it's not just an institution, it's now an industry. It's a multi-billion dollar a year industry and there's people profiting from convincing poor kids to have gender-affirming surgery to mutilate them and uh, uh, to be drugged and under a whole lot of drugs they've got to keep in order to maintain their either masculine or feminine chosen identity. And let's face it, you can have whatever surgery you like, take whatever medicines you like, but every DNA cell in your body is either male or female. And uh, you can't change whether you're male or female. In the beginning, God created man, male and female, he created them. And what you're seeing is a blatant denial of the way God has made us. But now, the big problem of this transgender movement is you're not allowed to criticize it. If you criticize, you're guilty of a hate crime. And so, to understand transgenderism biblically, I think we start with Genesis 5, verse 2. God created them male and female. And Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 45, verse 9 says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? That's Isaiah 45, verse 9. There are only two genders. Now, sadly, um, most denominations have not made a strong stand. Most have been cowardly on us. And some churches have gone for supporting the transgender ideology. 
including the Episcopal Church, the Reformed Judaism, Unitarian Universalist Association, United Church of Christ. Others who are being compromising on it and being mixed include the American Methodist, African Methodist, the Episcopal Church, and the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA, the Roman Catholic, Methodist, uh, PCUSA, uh, have all been very ambivalent, having either no position or uh, being mixed. But those who made a stand against uh, the transgender movement includes the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, the Southern Baptist Convention, and the Assemblies of God. They've made a stand against the transgenderism. But other churches are having transgender priests even. There was a transgender priest, I think of the United Methodist, who compared the trans murderer, the terrorist, who shot uh, three kids and three teachers at uh, the Christian school in Tennessee, um, and there was this transgender priest who compared the, the mass murderer to Jesus Christ. That just as Jesus was judged and uh, misunderstood uh, over Easter, so um, this poor transgender uh, person's being misgendered because the media is speaking about a transgender woman, whereas her preferred identity was that she's a man. And so these horrible media misgendered a mass murdering terrorist who shot a whole lot of kids in a school. That's how insane it's gotten. So the people who are supporting the cheating of sports, uh, you know, you just think if you if you take the wrong kind of uh, drugs or so on, you can be disqualified from any kind of sports because that's not allowed, you know, hormone enhancing things. But now a man can come and do women's sports and think that um, uh, He's now earned this trophy, whereas it's actually, it's cheating. It's not honest. And it's destroying women's sports. And so Biden's trance orders basically delivered a knockout blow to women's athletics. And uh, under the Equality Act, you've got these males pretending to be females. And, you know, being a woman is far more than putting on a dress or putting on some lipstick and um, the way you talk and uh, flap your hands and so on. And so in many ways, they're caricaturing, insulting, demeaning women by the way of having, for example, uh, the way Nike got one of these trans men to model uh, sports bras for Nike and prancing around, acting like an absolute idiot, uh, insulting women to suggest, you know, really, do you think that makes you a woman? And uh, when you think what women have to do and endure and put up with, and uh, of course, without women, none of us would be alive because we need mothers. And this is one thing none of these characters can ever do. They can do all the transgender surgery they like. No man will be able to give birth to a woman, and they can uh, to, to any child. The only women can be mothers. And they are missing the whole point of being a woman is far more than uh, lipstick, makeup, um, high heels, and a dress, and uh, even a bit of surgery. So they've, they've basically demeaned and insulted and caricatured uh, all women in society, and it's insulting, and it's degrading. And this is a political ideology. It's not a gender identity. And you can see how kids are being uh, groomed and coaxed into making this transition because it's like a new religion. You can be saved from being an oppressor. You can be a, uh, saved from being an evil, white, uh, male, heterosexual uh, by um, converting to transgenderism all you've got to do is go through, it's like a baptism, you've got to go through the surgery, or like circumcision, the case of, of the Jewish case, just a whole lot more radical than that. Um, and you go through this, it's like baptism, you're then born again into a new identity, and this will save you, this will change you, and you will move to being part of the privileged, protected um, class, you'll be moved into the victim class, and you will not be able to be criticized, and anyone who criticizes you uh, will be able to be assaulted, have their livelihood destroyed, have them fired, deplatformed, whatever the case may be. So the transgender industrial complex is really, it's very real. And uh, this is body politics right now. Big Pharma is financing this. This is synthetic uh, identity. Um, and uh, the amount of people whose lives have been destroyed by this and who regret it and who are speaking up about it and who actually should start suing the so-called medical doctors, uh, teachers and counsellors who uh, 
railroaded them in many cases against their better judgment into this. It's coming. There's a lot of teenagers who have now realized their life's been ruined. Um, the, the chance of them being a mother or father in the future has been, been destroyed. People have stolen their future from them. And uh, many are, are sick to death of what's going on. So I think we need to move from this thing. This is more than an ideology. It's more than an institution. It now is an industry. And uh, we should call it out that uh, big pharma and billionaires are bankrolling the transgender industrial complex. This is completely illogical. It's insane. And freedom of speech is being wrecked. Freedom of conscience, freedom of religion is being undermined. Uh, transgenderism is just another weapon being used by the New World Order in order to break down the family, which is the basic building block of society, to break down people's very identity of male and female, to uh, break down Christian roots and foundations of society. This is a weapon of the globalists. You can see the Sabbatean movement here. You can see the satanic antichrist agenda. So we need to resist, and that includes saying, I'm not going to play your game. I'm not going to uh, accept this uh, gender pronoun business. You must, cannot intimidate us. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the friends of Daniel, who were told, when you hear the music playing, you bow down before this idol. And they said, our God, whom we serve, is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't save us, we still won't bow before your idols, nor will we serve your gods. We must submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am not going to bow or bend before this uh, movement of perversion. This is not about rights. This is uh, steamrolling over all women's rights. It's destroying women's sports and lives and careers. It's unacceptable. And uh, it's time for sanity to prevail. There are two genders. Marriage can only be between a male and a female. They must just deal with it. These are facts. And people screaming and getting hysterical and calling us haters and uh, all kinds of terms and trying to shut down freedom of speech and freedom of conscience and freedom of thought cannot be allowed. We have to make a stand against it. And, and brave people like Riley Gaines and uh, Kelly J. Keynes who've been the forefront of speaking out against this insanity, should be supported and encouraged. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, I made a note of this. It sort of struck me earlier in your talk. You spoke about the biological and physical differences between men and women. Well, isn't it interesting how many formerly male sportsmen suddenly become women sportsmen. And when there were male sportsmen, I remember a couple, one was like ranked 80 in the world, one was ranked 300 and something in the world. But as soon as they become a woman, they win, you know? And so um, what I'm trying to get at is that if there was no physical, uh, you know, well, it's, it's probably a dangerous word to use today, superiority. Let's say if, if men weren't physically stronger, and therefore more resilient at sports, you'd expect some of these transgenders to go over and not dominate the women's sport that they go into. But I've not yet seen that to be the case. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, so we, we know this, for example, in our mission camps, we will have women's PT and, and the men's PT, and it's because there's different um, things that we need to concentrate on and different exercises, and it's not just not fair on a competitive basis to put men and women on, on the physical side because men are the stronger, which is why the Bible commands us to protect. I mean, men are called to protect women, and chivalry always emphasized this through the centuries. Knights were to swear to protect women and children and to rescue them, and it's absolutely reprehensible that men have started to treat women uh, the way they have, and I believe it starts with the business of, as we were taught at school in Indonesia, you stand up uh, when a woman enters the room, you tip your hat if you, if to a woman of any age, she can be a preschool, you can be high school, you still lift your hat uh, to greet them in the street, you give your seat in the tram or the underground or the uh, railway or the bus uh, to a woman of any age. It's a disgrace for a man to not stand aside an open door for a woman to go through or to assist them with if there's some heavy things to be carried or lifted. Um, we are physically stronger, which is why the military has traditionally been for men. 
I might say that is also traditionally why um, it was the male who became king. And if he was younger, he bypassed the sisters, like in the case of King Edward VI. Um, he became king first because there was no provision for a queen to rule England initially, because the king had to be the protector. He had to fight and um, and protect the society and, and the kingdom. And so kings were always warriors. They had to fight. And uh, that's why initially it wasn't considered possible to have a, a queen as the head of state. And why it actually looks a little ludicrous when you had the coronation in Britain just last week, where the... Um, person carrying the sword of state, the double-handed sword of state in front was a woman walking with a dress and high heels. Normally, the person carrying the sword of state was the greatest warrior knight in the kingdom, and he was there. Uh, he is the king's defender, the king's right-hand man. He is the king's champion. The one carrying the sword of state in front was the person who could um, defeat any other challenger. He was better than any other knight. And so the one carrying the sword of state tended to be the king's champion, the, the greatest swordsman and warrior in the in the kingdom that was the stand you know you think of of john of gort for example um being being the the one who carries the double end sword uh, at the coronation so to put a woman in that position is ignoring the fact that men are called to be soldiers men are the ones who should be conscripted uh, as the bible makes clear in the book of numbers you to uh, conscript all the men to train for war uh, you don't the women are the um life givers and the nurturers, the homemakers, the ones who protect and raise the next generation, they are not killers. They are designed to nurture and to produce uh, life and, and love. The men are meant to be protectors and providers. And so men are the ones who get drafted in the army and who have to fight the wars and all the rest and carry the heavy loads and do the heavy building and whatever else needs doing. And to try and ignore this and to make these ridiculous fictions that they've got now with like in Marvel superhero comic nonsense where Black Widow is some uh, very uh, attractive woman who can beat up any man who's physically stronger than uh, Spesnes and all the rest. And, you know, honestly, all these backflips and her incredible movements, well, that's fine if you've choreographed it and you've got stunt doubles. But uh, in reality, it doesn't work that way. And having been in the army, I know what's essential for um, infantry, we've got to be able to carry 58-pound packs and run with our rifle in boots. In fact, our PT every morning was running in boots with webbing and rifle and kit, including with water bottles filled, and we would have to do our 2.4-kilometer runs that way. Do buddy PT. If somebody gets injured, you've got to be able to pick up this other man and run with your kit and him and your rifle and his rifle. So that we would either, uh, whether you do fireman's lift or sheep uh, holding uh, diff two different ways, whether you're carrying the person in front of you or over your shoulder and running, you've got to be able to run with another man um, who could be heavier than you too. No woman can do that. And uh, basic infantry survival requires that you can dig a trench quickly or foxhole uh, when an artillery barrage is coming in or airstrike. So the ability of upper body strength to be able to quickly dig a trench or a foxhole can make difference of life and death. And it's not fair or reasonable to put women to combat. It's interesting that in recent history, uh, draft dodgers like Bill Clinton and people who never served a day in the military like Obama are the ones who put women into combat. And it's pretty reprehensible when a man who's not willing to do his duty puts women in the path of danger in, in a line of fire. Um, on the front line even. And uh, that just shows how uh, our society has deteriorated to such an extent now. <coughs> People don't know the difference between a man and a woman. They can't define what a woman is. And um, they want women to do men's jobs right down to fighting and dying for the country. And traveling to airports in America, it's been quite shocking for me to see the amount of women walking with a prosthetic limb that dressed in military uniform, they've lost a leg in Afghanistan or an arm or part of their face is obviously had to be rebuilt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's horrible enough to see men uh, who've been crippled from uh, combat, but to see women 
cripple like that. It's just not right. And what has happened to our women and children first, the uh, Birkenhead drill, where the men stand on a deck singing, going down with the ship because there's only enough space for the women in the lifeboats. And uh, the Titanic was Birkenhead drill and women and children first. For every, um, for every woman who drowned on the Titanic, 12 men drowned. So men um, uh, overwhelmingly stayed on the Titanic and the people who were saved were mostly women and children and the ones who drowned were mostly men, overwhelmingly so, 12 to 1. And that just reflects a different culture. Today, when a ship's been going down, like with the uh, Baltic Sea, uh, one of the um, ferries, when it went down, only young men survived. And uh, when they were being criticized for that, they said, hey, women want equal rights, they've got it. It's survival of the fittest. And so there you've got Darwinian evolutionism. The men fought, uh, they got they got the life vests and life rafts and so on, and the women, children, older people all drowned. In uh, Indonesia, when there's been a ferry going down in the Philippines, it's also been all the men survive and the women don't because the men are stronger, and they literally fought to get the few um, life vests and everything else, and that's mostly Muslim society. And again, it was men first. So you can see the difference between the pagan worldview and the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview should be men protect women. And what kind of man would take a trophy away from a woman and stand there and pose for their photo op of their trophy when they've competed in women's sports? Just if Leah Thomas was any kind of gentleman, which obviously he is not, um, he would have refused that trophy and said, you know, Riley Gaines is the one who earned this. And anyway, this is only a, um, we're only tied and would have refused that trophy. But, uh, you know, obviously these people, they're not concerned about what's right or what's just. They're just thinking about, this makes me feel good. This is going to be a nice post on my social media or something like that. I want to be in the headlines. And so instead of thinking about what's right or what's my duty or what's chivalrous, they're now thinking about, well, this makes me feel good. And if someone criticizes it, that makes me feel bad. So that person must be deplatformed and prosecuted for a hate crime because they made me feel uncomfortable by mentioning the truth. So we a very important stage in civilization, and without freedom of speech and freedom of thought and freedom of conscience, you don't have any other freedoms. Those are the most basic freedoms of all. So we have to win this battle for the sake of, of our children and grandchildren's generation and future generations. You cannot allow the normal to be declared deviant and the deviant to be declared normal and then prosecute people for having alternative opinions. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, before we go, could you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, certainly. My personal email is peter at frontline.org.ca, peter at frontline.org.ca. And our website is www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. And we really do need prayer and help at this time. Our mission is struggling. We're under a lot of attack, and uh, we are struggling to just keep our operations going. Um, it's often so when you've been criticized and attacked for the stands we're making. Um, many are trying to um, undermine us, and our supporters suffered. Uh, we are um, about to receive a major container shipment of Bibles and books to offload, but... Yeah. Sorry, Peter, you're breaking up again. Okay. To be able to do that. So there's a, a lot of needs. Okay. Grateful to hear from you. Thank you, Peter. Sorry, you're just breaking up that last that last. Thank sentence. you, Andrew. Thank you. Okay. Right. Okay, folks. Uh, I want to thank Peter so much for joining us today for a show entitled The Real Story Behind the Transgender Movement and Its Threat to Women's Rights. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter, I'll be back with you at the same time next week. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. So until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now.